today, we are in Acts chapter 27. I want to pray one more time for our time in the Word. Lord, I pray that you would just minister your Word to our hearts right now. I pray that you would teach us. Lord, you know where everybody is today who is in this room and those watching online. And I pray, God, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's been said that you are either in a storm right now, or you have just come out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm, right? And uh, it's true, I think, when we say that storms are a part of life. And how you weather the storm is really, really important. And today, we're going to see the Apostle Paul in a major storm here in Acts chapter 27. But in June of 1998, a guy by the name of Charlie Blanchett and his crewmate Des McGrath left New Zealand to sail to Tonga on a 43-foot sailboat that they affectionately named April... And on their voyage, they encountered severe weather conditions that have since been referred to as the ultimate storm. Now get this, they were hit by winds of 154 knots and waves that were estimated to be 80 feet high. At one stage, seven different waves hit their boat and submerged it. And then they shot up out of the ocean like a dolphin, you know, jumping, but just right into another set of waves. But they'd survived this storm because of their anchor. You see, their boat was equipped with the Coppins Sea Anchor, said to be the best anchor that money can buy. And no, I'm not giving a commercial today for that. I don't, I'm not a rep for them at all or anything like that. Um, but it's interesting that this anchor is the thing that held them. Well, in our text today, we're going to see Paul the Apostle go through a horrible storm. But in the midst of his storm, there are three anchors that, that hold him together. And it's these three anchors that also can hold us in the midst of the storms that we find ourselves in. Now, Paul's in this situation because some of the same Jewish leaders who killed Jesus over 20 years, years before now want Paul dead too. You see, they, they are not happy with Paul that he is he broke from their ranks of being a Pharisee to become a follower and spokesman for Jesus. And it was Paul, he was preaching that Jesus was the Messiah, that Paul, that Jesus had risen from the dead, and that Jesus was the only way to get to God and have a right relationship with God. And so after a failed assassination attempt, Paul uses his Roman citizenship to request, to really appeal to have an audience with Caesar. And so because he was a Roman citizen, he had that right, and so Festus, the government, said, you want to go to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. And that's where we're going to pick up the story here. Acts chapter 27, verse 1. It says, and when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, now notice the we there, that means that Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, is going to be here also as a part of this journey, and he has no doubt volunteered to go on this trip with Paul. 
And so it says that, that they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. Now, centurions were the cream of the crop of the Roman army. They were known for their bravery. They were known for their proven character. And a centurion would be over a group of about a hundred men. They could maybe be described today as like the Navy SEALs of that day. And so Julius is a commander of these men. And there's probably a good portion of his crew that is on this ship to help guard these prisoners. And so he's in charge. He's responsible, this guy Julius, for getting all of these prisoners, including Paul, to Rome. And I want you to notice when it says other prisoners there in verse 1, literally in the Greek it describes others of a different kind. And I think the implication there is this. Some suggest that, that unlike Paul, these men had already been tried and they had been found guilty. So they weren't going to Rome in order to be tried, to have a, a court hearing like Paul was going to have, but they were going to be executed. That they were men that had already been you know, deemed to be guilty, and so they were heading towards the Colosseum to be fodder for the lions or, or the gladiators. And I think about this and just how awesome God is. Because here are a bunch of men who are on this boat who are sailing to their death. These are hardened criminals who are going to spend eternity in hell and God totally hooks them up. Because he puts on their boat the Apostle Paul. And they're going to be sailing for a long time. And Paul's going to share the gospel, get a chance to share the gospel with all of these guys. I mean, isn't that amazing how God would set that up? But precious church, know this, that God does the same thing with us. I mean, we are in this world right now, and we are floating. There are people in this world right now that are floating towards an eternity of tor torment. They are floating towards an eternity of being separated from a God who loves them, who loved him so much that he gave his only begotten son to come and die on the cross that he might save them. And God places you and I who know Jesus, who have been touched by his grace in the same boats to go through the same type of storms, financial storms, relationship storms, and, and the storm of cultural chaos that we are in right now. And God has placed all of us in that same boat so that we can share the light of Jesus with people who are lost and going to hell. And we must never, ever lose sight of that perspective and that reality, especially when we are in the midst of a storm. So we're going to pick up Paul's story here in verse 2, and we're going to put a map up here that, that kind of outlines or shows uh, Paul's journey. He's starting down here in Caesarea, and eventually he's going to end up shipwrecked in Malta, but, but this is kind of the course that he's taking, and you'll see this as we begin to read. Notice verse 2, so entering a ship of Adramentum, we put to sea. 
Meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Throughout this voyage, Julius is going to treat Paul with a, a lot of respect and consideration and kindness. And I think this is a great indication of how you know these Roman people, they, how they viewed Paul, that, that we already saw back in, in chapter 26 where they were like, if this guy hadn't appealed to Caesar, there's like nothing to charge him with. He really, you know, doesn't, you know, it's not, he hasn't done anything wrong. And they realized all along that, that this is a kind of a plot by the Jewish leaders to do away with Paul. So there's a respect here. They treat him with kindness. They're going to let him go and visit his friends. We'll pick it up in verse 4. And when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia, and there a centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. Now, scholarship reveals that this Alexandrian ship was a grain freighter taking grain from Egypt to Italy, and the typical grain freighter of that day was about 140 feet long and 36 feet wide. So we're talking a pretty big boat. It had one mast with a big square sail, and and instead of a a, a rudder, it, it was steered by two paddles in the back of the boat. So it was very, very sturdy, but because of its design, it couldn't sail very well into the wind. And so this is what happens, verse 7. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Sindus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salome, passing it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, Fair Havens was not a great place. Because Fairhavens was a small little port town. It probably got its name from the Chamber of Commerce that was trying to get people to come there. You know, let's call it Fairhavens and maybe people will want to come. But it wasn't fair. It wasn't the kind of place that you definitely would not want to spend the winter there. And so these seasoned seamen are thinking the last place we want a winter is in Fairhavens. But they were realizing because of the slowness of their journey that they weren't going to make it to Rome before winter, so they were going to have to stop somewhere, but they're hoping anywhere but Fairhavens, because if we end up in Fairhavens, it's going to be a long, hard, boring winter. Verse 9. Now, when much time had been spent... And sailing was dangerous because of the fat. The fast was already over. Now, that phrase right there gives us a timestamp. The fast that it's referring to here is the, the fast related to the Day of Atonement, which would have taken place in October. And so this is probably now to the mid to the late October time. And, and they're, they're realizing we're not going to make it. Things are getting really, really tough. And Paul advised them, saying, men... 
I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Now pause there and give me your attention for a minute. This isn't Paul's first rodeo. Paul was kind of a seasoned seaman in his missionary travels. He had traveled about 3,500 miles on ships. And we learn from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Paul had suffered three shipwrecks in his journeys. And on one of them, he spent a day and a night in the deep. You wonder why Luke would even volunteer to go on this trip with that kind of track record, right? I mean, it's like you have a buddy that says, you know, you want to go on a road trip, and then he tells you, you know, I've been in three accidents, I've totaled my car once, and you're like, you're not driving, right? <laughs> Paul gets a sense here. Maybe it was the Lord. Maybe it was just his gut. But he's like, hey, guys, I don't think we should keep going. I don't think we, this isn't going to turn out well for any of us if we keep going, but notice what happens. They don't heed his counsel. Verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. Now, I don't think we should read too much into this. I think it's kind of normal, obvious. I mean, why would, these, why would the centurion, Julius is in charge. Why would he listen to a preacher and a prisoner? He doesn't know Paul's background. He doesn't know what he's been through. Why would he listen to him instead of, you know, the owner of the ship who's a seasoned seaman, seaman and all of these sailors? And so they don't listen to Paul. And they're like, no, we're going to press where we think we can make it. But here's what I want you to catch. Everything that we read here in the rest of Acts chapter 27 could have been avoided if they just would have listened to Paul. And sometimes we end up in storms because of our own stupidity. Because we don't listen to the Holy Spirit. Or we don't listen to the counsel of someone. Or we don't listen to our guts or that conviction in our Holy Spirit. When I was in college, I worked at the Sheraton Hotel in Newport Beach. And one of my buddies who also worked there, a guy by the name of Todd Lauderdale, um, he worked there longer than me. And he had two, uh, a two-night pass for a room down at the Sheraton uh, there in Harbor Island, down by the airport. And so he's like, hey, let's go down there. And so we cruise down there, and he's like, you know, thinking one day, hey, let's go out and get a catamaran and go out on the bay. And I'm going, oh, that sounds like fun. I've never done that before. That sounds amazing. But the problem was, is the day that we chose to go out, the wind was blowing about 50 miles an hour. And so we walk into this place to rent this Hobie cat and we say, hey, we'd like to go out. And the guy looks at us and he's like, do you guys really want to go out today? That should have been our first clue that this wasn't a good idea. The second clue should have been that there were no other boats out in the bay that day. 
But we're like, you know, these young college-age gung-ho guys, and we're like, sure, man, it seems like it's going to be fun. So the guy at the counter calls to the back and says, hey, Dave, there's a couple of guys out here that want to take a Hobie cat out. So Dave comes walking out, and he's the cross between Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean... And Brandon Fraser as George of the Jungle, okay? <laughs> this is what he looks like. And, and he says, you guys want to take a cat out? And we're like, we nod. And he's like, far out. Let's do this. <laughs> that should have been point or clue number three, that this was a bad idea. Let's send him out with the stoner guy, you know, <laughs> which is basically what he was. So as soon as we get the boat in the, in the water, I mean, we are going really, really fast. All three of us are on one patu- uh, p- pontoon or you know, one of the, you know what I'm talking about. And, and we're sitting there. I'm in the front and my friend's in the here and Dave's in the back. And we, immediately we get the other, you know, end of it up in the air. I mean, we're just, and we're flying. But the end where I'm sitting is starting to dig into the water. And then it happens. Boom. And we just all go flying. The whole thing just flips over. We hit so hard that the mass literally got stuck on the bottom. We couldn't pull it over. They had to have a boat come out and rescue us and pull our thing out. We had no business being on the water that day. Well, we'll see from our story here that this group didn't have any business trying to sail further than fair havens either. Let's pick it up in verse 14. But not long after, a temptuous headwind. Now, that's the thing you never want to hear when you are in a boat on the ocean. A temptuous, that just sounds horrible, doesn't it? Headwind arose called a Euroclidon. Now, this was a northeasterly, sort of a a typhoon type of wind, a hurricane on the water that causes really big waves. So when the ship was caught and we could not head into the wind, we let her drive. So now the wind is controlling the ship. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff, that's the lifeboat, with difficulty. And when we had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. So now they're trying to tie the boat together with these cables and fearing lest they should run aground on citrus sands, they struck sail so that they were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle board overboard with our own hands. So they continue to, they're just throwing things over to lighten the ship. And now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, so it's completely dark. They have no navigation. They would follow the sun. There is no, they have no idea where they're at. And no small tempest beat on us. All hope that we should be saved was finally given up. So this is looking like a hopeless situation. And this is the worst kind of storm that you can be in. 
one where that leaves you feeling hopeless. But I want you to note this, especially if you're in that place today. I want you to note that in our hopeless moments, that is oftentimes when God shows up the strongest. And this is what we're going to discover in the text today, is that in the midst of of the hopelessness of our storm, we have an anchor. We have an anchor to hold on to, an anchor that holds us. Verses 21 through 26 is powerful. Notice, verse 21, but after a long abstinence from food, now why are they not eating? You ever gotten seasick before? You know? What goes in comes back up. So, you know, they're being tossed. So they're not eating. And then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you have, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now, why is he saying this? I think he's saying this not to to put a jab, but he's like, please listen to me now. This is why he's saying this. And now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those and all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as he has told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Here's what I want you to catch today. Here's the heart of our message today. In verses 23 through 26, we, th- we see three strong anchors to cling to in the midst of the storms that we find in life. Strong anchor number one is the anchor of the presence of God. And here we see that God sends an angel to encourage Paul, to come to Paul and say, Paul, don't be afraid. I've got you. Paul, don't be afraid. I'm with you in this. And when we are in the midst of the storm, guys, we we can know too that God, he's with us, that our God, he's got us, that you and I, we are never, ever alone. You know, there's a small boy by the name of Tony. He lived in a, a kind of a big city. And this is back in the day when kids were allowed to kind of roam, a lot lot different than uh, where we live and how we live today. But in this little guy's life, he, he was in second grade, and his school was about eight blocks from where he lived, and his mom didn't want him to walk to school by himself. So she was going to hire the teenage girl that lived across the street to walk him to school every day. Well, you know, being a boy, I mean, Tony, he, he didn't like that idea. Um, you know, he, he's like, look, I'm big enough. I can walk on my own. And he promised, Mom, I won't stop anywhere. I won't talk to strangers. I can do this. And after begging and pleading, she finally said, okay. Well, a few years later, he's now in the fifth grade. It's a family gathering. His cousins are there. And he's bragging to them about how, you know, how independent he has been walking himself to school since the second grade. And then his mom burst his bubble. Because she said, do you think I let you walk alone? I was behind you the whole time. From the moment that you left, I was was behind you. I just walked far enough enough away where you couldn't see me. And at the end of school, when you got out at the end at 3.30, I was there too. I just wanted to be there just in case you needed me. 
And so too, church, we are never alone. Jesus, our good shepherd, is always with us. And that's why, like the, the good shepherd, or the, the psalmist said of our good shepherd in Psalm 23, he said, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. He's with you right now in the midst of the storm that you are in. In fact, remember when Jesus sent his disciples there in Mark chapter 6 across the Sea of Galilee? And they start heading out, and he goes up on the hilltop to pray. And from the hilltop, he's got a perfect vantage point where he can see them. And we read in the text that it says that they get out there, they're about halfway across you know, the, the lake there of Galilee, and this storm arises, and the wind is blowing, and they're straining, it says, rowing. And Jesus is there, and he's watching his boys. He's watching his guys, no doubt praying for them. I think that's a beautiful picture of what the Bible says to us about Jesus, that Jesus is our high priest who ever lives to intercede for us. Isn't it a beautiful thing to remember when when you're going through a rough day, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. And in that story, when the disciples get to the place where, where they're just struggling, that Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And that's a reminder to us that the storms that we go through are opportunities for God to reveal both his presence and his power. Remember this passage in Isaiah 41.10, we are told, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not, God says, because I'm with you. Don't be dismayed because I am your God. And So the first strong anchor that we have in the midst of the storm is the strong anchor of God's presence. The second strong anchor that we have is the anchor of God's promise. Notice verse 24 again. The, the Lord says, or the angel says, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought to Caesar." Remember back in chapter 23? Back in chapter 23, right around when this whole mess was starting, Paul finds himself in custody there in Jerusalem. And Jesus appears to him there in, in Acts chapter, they say Psalm 23, Acts 23. Acts 23, Jesus appears to Paul. And remember what he says there? Acts 23, verse 11, he says, Paul, in the same way that you have testified of me here in Jerusalem, you are going to testify of me in Rome. Jesus was saying, hey, Paul, don't be afraid. You're going to Rome. And Paul had this desire to go to Rome and preach the gospel. He says, Paul, you're going. You are growing to Rome. And we have seen that throughout this whole story of Paul's trial and arrest and all these different things going on, that there was a calmness and a peace because Paul was, was hanging on to the promise of Jesus. And here the promise is restated again. Paul, you're going to Rome. So catch this. Paul is perfectly in the will of God in the midst of the storm. God had a plan to get Paul to Rome, but I'll tell you this, it was different than what Paul would have imagined. I'm sure he was thinking, you know, cruise ship, 
not prisonership, you know? I'm sure Paul didn't think that it would involve an illegal arrest, Roman and Jewish trials, confinement in Caesarea for two years, and then this storm at sea that we're going to see eventually leads to a shipwreck. And I guarantee you this, it's not the way that Paul would have written the story. It's not the way I would have written the story. But Paul's story is being scripted by God, and in the midst of the storm, Paul was in the perfect will of God. And the same thing can be said of your life and my life. There have been times in my life where I'm literally scratching my head. I'm just thinking, God, I, I don't know what you're doing. This makes no sense to me whatsoever what you are doing right now, but I'm gonna trust you. And I'm gonna praise you even in the storm. God promised to Paul to get him to Rome. And in the midst of the storm, Paul is calmly and confidently anchored in the promise of God. And listen, precious church, we need to be anchored in the promises of God. Promises like Isaiah 43, verse 1, where the Lord says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Let that sink in today. God's saying, look, I've redeemed you. You're mine. You belong to me. And then he says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We cling to those type of promises. We cling to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says, and we know that all things are working together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And we don't have to wonder what that purpose is because he tells us in the very next verse. In verse 29, he says, and this is the purpose of God, the plan of God, to conform you into the image of his own dear son to make you more like Jesus. And the storm that you're in, it's a part of that. And so we have the strong anchor of God's presence. We have the strong anchor of God's promise. And number three, we have the strong anchor of the faithful performance of God. Again, notice verse 25. It says, therefore, take heart, men, Paul says, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Paul not only had the presence and the promise of God to hold him, but he also had the faithful performance of God to stand on. God had been faithful in his life. I mean, God had already seen him through three storms. God had already seen him through a night and a day in the deep. And the same thing is true in our lives. There are times in our lives where things don't make sense to us. How many of you have had times in your life that just weren't making sense at all? Like you're wondering like, please raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, we, that happens. But the saying is true, isn't it? Hindsight's twenty twenty, And we can look back at the difficulties and the hard things and go, oh, that's what you were doing, God. 
That's how you were moving. That's how you were working. After the stone, it storm, it's easy to look back and see how God was preserving and how God was working and how God was orchestrating that God is like that song we sing. He is the way maker and he's moving and he's working even when we can't see it all the time. And here's the interesting thing. Even if you don't have a long history with God to look back to, maybe you've only been walking with the Lord a little while and you don't have a long history of your life to look back and see, you know, all these times where God was moving and working, you can look to the pages of Scripture. You can look to men like Job. Job went through a horrendous storm, a storm that that no one else would ever want to go through where he lost so much and he was physically afflicted like no other to the point where his own wife said to him, honey, just curse God and die. Just curse him so he'll just put you out of his, your misery. That's how bad it was. But at the end, at the end, we see God totally uh, supplies, abundantly supplies Job. Now you can never, ever replace children that have been taken away. But God did show his faithfulness in Job's life in an abundant way. And we have story after story in the scriptures where we see God coming through big time on behalf of his people. And so we can stand in the midst of the storm holding on to the strong anchor of God's faithful performance in our lives and the lives of the, pa- the people in the pages of Scripture. These st- three anchors that, we, that, that hold us, God's presence with us, God's promises to us, and God's faithful performance in us are what hold us in the midst of the storm. But there's one more thing that we need to see today from our story. In order to stay anchored in the Lord, we have to cut away the escape routes. Let's pick it up in verse 27. Now, when the 14th night, so 14 nights, they're just going, being tossed to and fro, driven by the wind, had come, and we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land, and they took soundings. Now, soundings is they would take a long-weighted uh, rope, string type of thing, and they put it down to see how far it would go to touch the bottom, and they found it to be 20 fathoms. That was 120 feet. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. That was 90 feet. And then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out the anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Check this out. Whether these men knew it or not, the safest place for them to be was on that ship. But every natural instinct in their being said that it wasn't. These were seasoned sailors. They understood the sea. They knew that with each sounding 
as they were getting in shallower and shallower waters that it would only be a a, a matter of time before they ran into the rocks. And everything in them said, we need to bail. But God had given an assurance that he was going to take care of them if they just stayed in the ship. And you know what, friends? When we are in the storm, our natural instinct is to want to run. Our natural instinct is to want to bail. Our natural instinct is want to is to, to ignore Scripture. But the safest place for us to be is in the boat, in the storm. For these sailors, they, they were soon to be shipwrecked, but the boat was the place where God's mercy was going to be found. One of my friends, Brian Bell, put it this way, shipwrecked people have all they need in order to be saved if they but believe and obey. And that's what was required here. And so Paul says to the centurion, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food saying, today is the 14th day and you have waited and continue without food and have eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment for this is for your survival since not a hair will fall from your head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when they had broken it, and began to eat. And then they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. And so when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Paul says, hey, if you jump ship, you're going to lose your life. So what do they do? The centurion orders the soldiers to cut the lifeboats, to discard them, to cut away the escape routes, in other words. Maybe you're here today, and today you're thinking, you know, I haven't jumped ship, but my lifeboat is in the water. Maybe you're thinking, maybe you've said, Lord, I'll give you two more weeks. I'll give you three months. I'll give you a year. But I'll tell you this, if you keep an escape option open in your mind, I guarantee there's a good chance you'll use it. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking about divorce. If you're thinking about divorce, there's a good chance you'll end up divorced. If you think about other men and women that you could be with, that you wish you could be with, because maybe you feel trapped in the relationship that you are in. If you start thinking that way, there's a good chance you'll bail in the midst of the storm. And in doing so, you'll lose out on giving God the opportunity to work a miracle on your behalf. And you know, I've seen many, many couples in this church, couples who could have bailed, who were tempted to bail, but who hung in there in the midst of their storm, anchored to Jesus, who experienced the faithful performance 
of God in bringing them out of the storm, of working in their relationship. Maybe your storm is at work and you want to bail. You're like, man, I hate this job and this place. It's just so difficult. But God hasn't given you the green lights. Hang in there. Stay anchored. Believe that God is working. Maybe it's a ministry you're involved in. And just finding, man, it's just hard. I just feel like I'm running against the wind all the time. I just feel like God isn't moving and working. Hang in there. Hang in there. Don't bail. Don't quit. Trust him in the midst of it. You know, over the years, I've watched far too many people bail out in the midst of the storm. And in doing so, I've watched them suffer heartache and loss that was far greater than what they would have experienced had they stayed in the storm. And you might be thinking today, you know, Pastor Rob, it's easy for you to say that. You don't know the storm I'm in. You don't know how violently the waves are crashing against my life. You don't understand. And you're right, I don't. But I know somebody who does. You see, Jesus went through the ultimate storm for us. So much so that the Bible says that he literally became sin. That he took upon himself all of the sin of the world to the point where he's hanging on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing separation for the very first time from his father. That unity that they had before the world even began, before time even began. And suddenly, there's anguish. His his heart is breaking. And the writer of Hebrews admonishes us to run our race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, who he says endured the cross and endured the shame for us. In essence, what the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, we can hang in there in the midst of our storm because Jesus hung on there for us. He hung on that cross for us. I'll close with this. In 1902, a fire broke out in suburban St. Louis in a home of an elderly woman. Asleep in the upstairs bedroom was her grandson, whom she tried to rescue, and she died in the process. A man outside heard screams of this five-year-old boy and found a way to climb up hand over hand up the drain pipe until he made it to the roof and broke through the window and pulled the boy out to safety. Well, the story, which appeared in the St. Louis Globe Herald, generated quite a bit of interest in, in the orphan boy. And during the hearings that followed, there was a school teacher that came forward and gave reasons why he thought he would be a great father for this boy. There was a wealthy businessman who came forward, a minister, and several other upstanding people in the community. But the little boy never stopped looking down. He never raised up his eyes until a man came through the back doors of the courtroom and walked up to him and opened up his hands. And there the little boy saw the scars and he looked up in his face and he said, this is my daddy. Because that was the man who climbed the the drain pipe, burning his hands to save that little boy. And the judge said, so be it. (laughs) He can be your son. Church, I'm asking you today, 
to look into the hands of the one who loves you, who absorbed the, the heat of hell to pull us out of eternal destruction. I'm asking you to listen to the one who says, trust me, don't jump ship or all will be lost. Precious people, Jesus will come in a way that will blow your mind if you don't jump ship. And he wants us to be encouraged today by his presence, by his promise, and by his faithful performance. Very quickly, look at verse 39. Let's see how this ends up. It says, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. Verse 40, and they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. And meanwhile, loosing the, the rudder and ropes, they, they hoisted the main sail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves, and the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, and commanded that those who could swim jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards, first reference of surfing in the Bible, and some on parts of the ship, And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. And this is where we're going to pick up next week with Paul on the island of Malta. But today, let's remember Jesus who went through so much for us so that we could be sure of his presence, stand on his promise, rely on his performance. Amen?